If you have your Bible, we're in the book of James, and actually we're just going to really look briefly at the history and the background of the book of James this morning. As I mentioned in my prayer just a moment ago, we are six years old today. Rock Point has been in existence six years ago today. We had our first worship service, and God has done so many neat things, and we'll talk about that at the conclusion of our service. But as we look at the book of James, I think it's interesting that this is the very first book of the New Testament that was written. The very first book of the New Testament that was written long before Paul penned any of his letters. James had written this book. It's a book of orthopraxy. The rest of the books, or many of the other books, are orthodox or they're doctrine-oriented. But this is a book that's written to Christians on how do I live the Christian life? How am I to do that? Let's look at a little bit of background, though, in your Bibles. I'm going to read the first couple of verses here. And then if you'll notice in your bulletin, there is a place for notes. And it gives you just a little bit of background. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. We see James here. And the first thing that we have is someone named James has written this book. And they're actually at least three different people in the New Testament that go by the name James. Now, most uh, conservative scholars, evangelical scholars, would say that James is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And you might say, well, how do you know that? Well, and there, are, there is some debate, but here's how I know, and this is where I go back to, and you have this listed in your notes there as well. Uh, if you look, flip over with me to the book of Matthew, let's just look at that for a moment. Here, if you, again, if you notice your notes there, Matthew and uh, chapter 13, verse 55. Matthew 13, verse 55. And I'll actually start with the 53rd verse here. Jesus had finished these parables. He moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get the wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son, which is a derogatory term, by the way? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't these his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters here with us? Matter of fact, uh, the next the next to the last book of the Bible, Jude, actually is from one of Jesus' half-brothers as well. So... This is the primary text. Also, we see later on in Galatians, Paul also refers to Jesus as his brother. And though there's much debate, I believe there's good reason to believe that this is Jesus' half-brother, James, here today. Also, we see the background is this. It's one of suffering. It's one of how do I deal with persecution? How do I live in the midst of of trials and circumstances. As we mentioned earlier, certainly in South Texas and South Louisiana, many people are dealing with trials and tribulations as they've lost their property, their homes, and some even their loved ones. They're living in a time of peril. It was also a perilous time when James wrote this letter. The Roman government was oppressing Christianity as well as those who were devout Jews and Orthodox Jews. They were trying to exterminate Christianity at this particular time. So many believers, many who called themselves Christians, had gone into somewhat cognito 
or some even into denial because of the intense persecution. And James is writing this letter to say, live the faith, fight the good fight, believe and speak and stand for who you believe in, the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we see the characteristics are focused in on behavior. It is referred to often as the New Testament of the Bible. The Proverbs of the New Testament, excuse me. Now I want to give you a brief outline as we will be looking over this book and studying this book in the next several weeks. It has been said that if Romans is the mind and the heart of the Bible, of the New Testament, then James, in fact, is the arms and the legs. The purpose of James is to show that true faith produces good works, to emphasize the practical aspects of Christian living. How do you face suffering? It's not coincidental that the very first chapter he deals with suffering because of the environment that they are living in. He, he addresses it right off the bat. How do you balance salvation by faith in a Christ alone salvation with works? And we'll see later on that the Judaizers, those who believe that all the laws were still required in addition to Christ, James takes them on as he presides as the bishop, as the pastor of Jerusalem. And we see in uh, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council meets and addresses this very issue. And what are the virtues of the Christian life? This book could be summed up in the phrase that often people use in Missouri, show me. Show me your faith. In chapter 1, we see how do you respond to trials? How do you handle temptations? And what is the definition of true religion? In chapter 2, loving your neighbor as yourself and not showing favoritism. Chapter 3, controlling your tongue and the two types of wisdom that are granted to mankind. In chapter 4, submitting to God and planning for the future. In chapter 5, developing a proper attitude toward money and toward wealth. And the virtue of patience and the power of prayer. James, as we stated earlier, is certainly a leader at this time. He's recognized by Paul and Barnabas as leaders because they report back to him. As a matter of fact, he sent out Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. One of the reasons that I feel so strongly and believe so strongly in the Scriptures and in the salvation of Jesus Christ is because of James. Why is that? Because you see, James being the half-brother of Jesus, when Jesus was alive here on the earth, he struggled with Jesus being the Messiah. We see in a couple of different instances in the Gospel where they came in, in Luke chapter, in Mark chapter 6, I believe it is, they came and they, and they asked Him to leave and to quit preaching, so to speak. And the crowd said, look, your mother and your brothers are out there and they're wanting you to come on in. They're wanting you to step down. Obviously, they don't believe you're the Messiah. We see in the passage that we just read earlier, when he went into his hometown, there were people there who certainly didn't believe and mocked him. But what could have happened to so change James from the point to where he was trying to get his brother to shut up to the point that he writes the first letter of the New Testament to the point that he is willing to completely commit his life to the cause of Christ, 
to the point that he writes to Christians everywhere at that time and tells them how to live. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible tells us that he was an eyewitness of the resurrection. He knew that Jesus died. He had probably looked upon the cross and had seen Him upon the cross, had seen Him die. He knew that He had been placed in a tomb. But then He saw Him. He saw Him. He recognized that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And He became a leader, probably if not the primary leader, one of the primary leaders of the faith. It transformed him forever because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So James helps us to understand how to live. He helps us to understand that it's not just enough to just believe the right things and know the right things. We must live the right things of the Bible that's been given to us, the Scripture that has been presented to us. Now, as we continue, I think it's important for us to understand a few key terms. And let me give you two key terms. The first one is general epistle. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as Catholic epistles. And there is a little bit of debate over which ones are the general epistles, but let me give you the mainstream, kind of those that we uh, most of us completely agree on. And when we say general epistle, what that primarily means is this, is that the letters that were written address all believers. It's not just a specific church or a specific person. So typically these, there would be seven. Some would say there's eight, some would say there's nine, but most would universally agree that there's... 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, even though some would debate 2nd and 3rd John, whether it's a general epistle. And again, this doesn't, there's no debate whether these are inspired words of Scripture. It's just do they fit under certain titles. 1st and 2nd Peter, and then Jude, as we talked about earlier, the brother of Jesus, and then the book of James. So we see that it is one of the general epistles. It is written to specifically believers. Next, there's another term called antinomianism. Now, if you've been to seminary, then you know that this is a pretty broad term and there is a lot of debate over what exactly that means. But let me just give you the simplified version, okay? It's in, in the most simplistic form, it's this. It means anti-law. It means those particularly who are Gnostic in nature who believe that once you, you receive the grace and the forgiveness of Christ, you could basically do whatever you wanted to. So you were just free to just live as you wanted to. And many times Paul was probably accused of this. We see that from Romans chapter 6 when he said, uh, Can I sin all that I want to now? May I sin all that I want to so that grace may abound? And he says, Certainly not. So that's really in reference to that accusation of being anti-law, anti-nomianism. Secondly, Jesus was probably addressing it when he talked about it in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 17, when he said this, Think not that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill the law. He was addressing that same issue. You see, it is by grace that we are saved, but the works and the deeds are the worship and the celebration of the salvation that we've been given. You see, when I was younger, I remember a time in my life where I would always ask Christ to come to my life, and I was trying to do enough good deeds so that one day I'd get to go to heaven. 
But once I understood the gospel, I understood the grace and forgiveness of Christ. I received that grace and forgiveness, and I didn't just say, okay, I don't have to do anything else. Now those are acts of worship. Those are acts of thank you to God Almighty for what He's done in my life because He has transformed me by the grace and the forgiveness of His blood, His salvation. Now, there are five key words found in James, and certainly suffering and trials are addressed. As a matter of fact, James goes as far as to say, when you encounter trials. As a matter of fact, he deals with the erroneous belief that if you were a good believer, you wouldn't have trials. And he's writing this book to let, let them know that, look, these trials are coming. If you've not already experienced it, and many of you are, they will come. Let me give you five primary words and five primary emphasis that you'll see in James. Number one, faith. You continually see the aspect and the principle of faith as James addresses it and the importance of faith in our walk with Christ. Number two, prayer. James, percentage-wise, says more about prayer than any other book in the New Testament. Prayer and the power of prayer. Number three, patience. I personally need to ask for patience, but I want it right now, as you can appreciate. As I read to this, I'm convicted over the aspect of patience, the aspect of wisdom and understanding what it means to be guided by godly wisdom and last, the tongue. He has some fairly scathing things to say about how we use our tongue. Here's the bottom line question. When we receive Christ, does it make any practical difference? Is there any value outside of our salvation in knowing the person of Jesus Christ? Does it affect our lives? And James certainly believed that it should. Again, James is not written to teach us doctrine, but to teach us how to walk and how to live. It's full of Exhortations. I just want to show you in the first chapter, I want to read some of these exhortations. James chapter 1, verse 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Move on, and then we see in verse 6, he says, But when he asks, a believer asks, he must believe and not doubt. But he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed. By the wind. Verse 9. The brother in humble circumstance ought to take pride in his high position. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Verse, uh, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my brother. Every good, good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Verse 19. My bro dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Verse 26, If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see these exhortations that are given. This is what you are to do. This is what you are not to do. James is very simplistic, very understandable. He gives us direct understanding and direct instructions. Now, when you look at the Bible, it's really primarily written and given and understood in two themes. The first theme is this, the way to God. The way to God. How do I get to God? We know passages like John 3.16 and John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And there's a Hebrew word that's used in the Old Testament, and it means the telling, the showing forth. And it's called the halakha. The halakha it is the path that one must take to God. It's how to get there. And that's one of the major themes of the Bible. The second major theme is this, though, the walk with God. And that's called the Haggadah. The Haggadah. The first was that of the laws in the Old Testament, the 613 laws. But the Haggadah is the telling, the showing forth of the life that you live. It's how you live that life after you have received that life. And we saw many who demonstrated that by cardboard testimonies just a few weeks ago as they would come up and not say a word, but would show a cardboard that would say, I once was addicted to drugs and alcohol, but God has delivered me and now I help others. I lost a child, but now I minister to those who have lost a child. And cardboard testimony after another after another showed what God had done in their life and what He is consistently doing in their lives today. That's the story of James. What are you doing with your faith today? Are you living that faith out today? You know, just as James was the first book of the New Testament, I believe this past six years has been the first book of the Testament of Rock Point, so to speak. Many of you are aware of the story, but for those of you who are not, a little over six years ago, there was a group of us that began to pray and began to meet and began to come together once a month and do Bible study. And after a period of time, we came to the place six years ago where we decided we were going to do our first public worship service. And we did it at Lantana's Razor Elementary. Primarily up to that point, we had been in homes. But six years ago today, we had our first public worship service at Lantana's Razor Elementary. I thought that's where we were going to build our church and where we were going to be the rest of our lives. I'd moved over here and thinking that because there wasn't a church right there in Lantana proper at the time. And, and there still isn't one. There's one on the outskirts, but there's not any church there in Lantana. And so I thought this is where we were supposed to be. It's where I'd felt led. And so we went, and there were a few of us we went and got permission to meet in the school and then uh, toward the end of that year, we had just a little over 100 people. I remember the principal coming to me and saying, well, your year's up. You're going to need to move out. And I go, move out? What do you mean move out? You only get one year in Denton Independent School District. I go, well, I didn't know that. Well, you know it now. Uh, I was too ignorant to ask that question in front. That's not one of those things they teach you in seminary. You know, they teach us theology, but business, nah, not so much. And so I n neglected to ask that question. 
And being a rookie at planning a church, I didn't know any better. And so I'll never forget just going home and just praying, going, God, what are we going to do? My wife said, what are we going to do? I said, you know, God's got a great opportunity. She goes, what is it? I have no idea. <laughs> and so I remember the next week getting up before the church and saying, you know, we've got about three or four more weeks here, and uh, then we're going to have to move. And God's got a great opportunity for us. And we began to search, and sure enough, we found another school that was in Louisville Independent School District, Briar Hill Middle School, right on 407, right across from Tom Thumb. And we moved over there, and we really began to see God's favor as we began to grow, as people come to Christ and were baptized, as we just saw our ministries flourish there. And uh, we looked up, and, and uh, when we got there, we recognized, you know what? I'm going to ask this time. They said, okay, you got two years, and you can have a third year if you have some land and a plan to build. So we began frantically to look, and so for about 18 months we looked, and we just couldn't find anything. And we just looked, and I, I must have talked to hundreds and hundreds of people in either an ordinance, or they didn't want to sell it to us, or they didn't want a church to be there. Just nothing would work out. Now, I remember one day driving down 1171. We were planning on being in 407. Remember, we started in Lantana. We'd gone to Highland Village. At this point, I'm just saying, okay, anywhere in the county will be fine if we can just find a place to go. And uh, because there wasn't another school we could go to, there wasn't a hotel locally, the only other place we could have gone was, was Grapevine that would, would enable us to provide for our kids, uh, our children, our youth. And so... We were just praying, and I remember driving down this road and seeing a sign, and I'd called hundreds and hundreds of signs at this point, and it said, J&J Ranch for sale. Let's call it again. I remember praying. I said, God, you got to do something at this point. We've only got, right now, one more year, and we're going to have to get out of school, and where are we going to go? What are we going to do? We will have used our, our school time up in two counties. And uh, I remember calling that number, and a lady answered the phone, and I asked her if... Her land was for sale. She said it was. She goes, how much would you like? I said, um, seven acres, eight acres, nine acres, ten. What would you sell us? And she goes, well, actually, it's uh, 360 acres, and we're not interested in subdividing. We've had lots of people ask us to, and we just don't want to subdivide it. And I said, oh, really? And I said, well, do you know of anyone else who would be interested in selling us land, maybe close to you, some of the property that borders your property. She goes, well, actually, we don't even live there. We inherited this land, and we're just wanting to sell it because we live in Missouri. And uh, she said, uh, I said, well, we're a church, and we're just looking for anything. If you, can, if you know of anything or if you hear anything, I'm really, really open. She goes, why don't you do this? My husband lives up here, obviously, in Missouri, but he happens to be there today looking uh, over the property and surveying it, and he's going to be riding around out there. Why don't you go see him? So I went and found him clear on the other end of the property, which is almost probably about close to a mile away from here, probably about three-fourths of a mile. And I found him there and uh, told him who I was, and we began to talk. He asked me where I was from, and I told him uh, I'd grown, grown up in Louisiana, uh, not far out of the Lake Charles area. And he asked, he said, man, have you ever heard of a guy named Jesse Duplantis? I said, he used to come to the little church I used to go to. He goes, well, he goes, man, he's my favorite. And we started telling stories, and he just... I just saw his countenance completely change. He goes, well, come on, let's, let's go walk across the property. Let's go pray over the property. And so we went and he began to pray. And by the time we got all the way over here, it was about 30 minutes later. And uh, he said, you know what? God told me to sell you whatever you want. I go, great. I said, well, what do you want to sell me? He goes, this is the best piece of property I have of 360. How much do you want? I said, I'll 
take 10 acres. How much is it? <laughs> and uh, he, he told me how much it was. And I go, well, can you do it for maybe close to half of that or maybe about 30 or 40% off? He goes, all right, I'll, I'll do that for you. And uh, then, again, because I have had no business classes and I don't know any better, I said, Mr. Bunt, would you pray about giving us a few acres too? And he goes, let me pray about that. And I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. And well, the next day he was leaving, I called him. I said, Mr. Bunn, did you pray about giving us any land? He goes, I did. I'm going to give you six more acres. So the property that we have right now here is, for what we paid for it, it's 75 or 80% worth more than what we paid. It's one of those deals where God gave it to us because we couldn't afford it. Matter of fact, not only could we not afford it, we still it was still not a, a, a given that we were going to be able to get the money that the bank required for us to even be able to do that because everything we owned at that point was in the back of a 1970 and a 1972 U-Haul truck. And I thought it was pretty decent stuff till we tried to give it away at the end and even church plants didn't want our old stuff. So we really had no practical value whatsoever. So our people sacrificially gave. We got enough money. We came up with a quarter of a million dollars to put down. The bank loaned us the rest of the money. And then we had land. But then here's the next big challenge. You've got to put something on that land. And it was raw land. There was no power. There's nothing coming out here. So we were going to have to pay for all of that. And we began to look at it. And it was going to cost close to $3 million. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. I remember our associate pastor said, you want to know how much that is a person? I go, no, don't tell me. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to know how much that is a person. I, I really don't. I said, uh, we've prayed. We've asked. God's provided. We've got to get out of the school here. I'm convinced that he didn't want us to move to Tarrant County, um, that we're supposed to be here in Denton County and here in this area. So we're gonna, God has provided thus far. We're going to ask him to provide for the vision that he's given us. So we went back and presented it for our, before our people. Didn't even have a professional fundraiser at this point. I never did hire one. And just said, this is, this is our opportunity and this is what we have to do. We want to ask you to sacrificially give. And people did. People very, very sacrificially gave. They gave of their, of their property, of their stocks, of their savings. And they provided through God's leading enough money for us to come up with and then committed on beyond that for the first two years so that the bank would loan us the money so that we could begin to build. And that all happened when we had, that commitment was made when we probably had about 125 or 130 adults. It's, it's really almost unbelievable. I remember talking to a guy uh, who did this for a living. He said, you can't do it. You don't have enough people. You don't have enough money. You can't do it. And I said, well, we're going to, we're going to let God do it because I know we can't do it, but we're going to ask His hand in His favor, and we believe in this vision. So you're here today. Number one is because God has ordained it and He has provided. Number two, because the people of God made a sacrifice. As a matter of fact, if you were part of the school building, if you were with us at the school, I want to ask you to just stand at this point, if you would. Would you just stand if you were with us at the school? Let's give those folks a hand, if you would. Quite frankly, the rest of you are here because of sacrifices that they made. That's why you're here today, because it, this, this building wouldn't exist if it hadn't have been for their faithfulness to respond to God's call. You know, ironically, we've got another building that will be finished in the next few weeks, and we just want to pay that thing off cash. 
so that we can invest more into our ministries and into our missions. And one day, we'll be over there, and I'll probably ask, stand up if you were a part of that. You have the opportunity to be a part of the next chapter of Rock Point by giving, by serving, by investing, by inviting, by proclaiming the name of Christ. I want to invite you to get in the game. What's happening at Rock Point? Well, let me tell you this. We've sent out five people to plant churches in the last six years. So there are five churches going on right now. And I'm not even counting how many people they have. Every Sunday, we have nearly 400 children and youth that come and study God's Word in the back. And that doesn't count the nearly 300 adults throughout the week and on Sunday that study the Scripture. And we would have more, but we don't have a place to put them. Matter of fact, our youth, if you know right now, are all meeting in a trailer out there waiting for that building to get built. And there's not hardly any room there for them. God is blessing us. We've seen nearly 200 people come and receive Christ and be baptized since we have started. It's amazing what God has done. We've adopted a village in Africa that doesn't have nearly enough water, much less clean water nor a sufficient school building. So what have we done? Right now, there are five water wells being built. And I just got a, a letter, an email from the missionary this week that they are uh, starting the process of now cleaning the water. One of our folks, we are fully supporting a nurse over there, Monica Miller, and probably we'll have another go in the next year or two. And we're fully supporting them to provide that village with water, clean water, Education And eventually, after we build this school, uh, it eventually will probably be able to use as a church just like we did. And it would be the first Christian church in that village. There's not one right now. What is God doing? He's doing some neat things. The question is, do you want to get involved? Today, we will see another eight more people baptized after the last service who followed Christ and trusted Him as their Savior. The question is not, is God moving? Is God working? The question is, will you join Him? Will you get in the game? Will you be a part of this next chapter? We're going to have a little video that I want to show you that just kind of goes back through the past. And I invite you as you look at that, and as you remember, and for those of you who won't remember, I invite you to be a part of the next one, to be a part of this next chapter, to get in the game and to impact by loving God with all that you are while making more and better followers of Christ. That's our mission. Loving God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. By receiving people into the kingdom and into the church. By equipping them in the faith. And by sending more people out to make an impact in this world for the cause of Christ.